I'm ready when you are. You can feel the country's on a knife edge. It's only, what, 30 minutes late starting? Let's do this! <laughs> it's a joke, obviously. You're in retreat. We're not rioting yet. I don't like that question. You're just saying shit and you don't even know what you're talking about. But Spider-Gate sounds way cooler than Manta Rays, doesn't it? And I was like, well, here's my two cents. You, you, you need a lot of stuff. That's how we should describe the podcast. If they ever went around recruiting one more person, then we'd have double the number of people listening. Well then. Let's start the show. Well, hello, Brad. Are you saying hello to me? It's like, I am. It's like you're looking in a mirror then. <laughs> it's like he's talking to himself, listeners. Yeah, well, I, I just I've got to say hello because you have me in your home. Thanks for having me. We're podcasting together in the same room. Yeah, it's only the second time ever it's happened. Yeah, second time ever. And the first one wasn't even on this show. Yeah. It was on the old now. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah. Now so so it is the first time. Yeah. The first time was the now defunct Where's My Glasses. Although, I don't know, that might get resurrected at some point. But we did. I don't think it's ever died. (laughs) It's always there in my heart. All right. Uh, uh, Yeah, but this is the first two Brad for you with all the Brads in the same room. Too much charisma. Well, it's it's too much. We're literally, what, a meter away from each other, and I'm I'm having to hold myself back here, listeners. (laughs) And we expect uh, podcast mascot Tabby Bruce to enter the room at some point yeah he's, st- he's staring at us from the window at the moment a little bit confused as to why there are two grown men with microphones and tables and laptops and headphones and i'm sure he's going to want to get involved at some point especially with all the cables around but. yeah well we might have to shoo him away from that but i mean it's been a great trip so far i've been here for a couple of days in lovely saint ives the sun is shining now so we're getting some nice weather and you, you've been london you've been trying to perfect some of your skills this yeah week? London science writers meeting was very good. Met some people, networking, you know, networking. Make, making deals. That's code for drinking beer. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, it was good, and we, I've got to meet some of the listeners. Uh, yeah, we uh, we impromptuly met uh, partial listener George yesterday, yeah. uh, and then listener Slasher took us uh, astray into a beer festival. Impromptuly. Yeah, we were meant to record a podcast yesterday. Yeah, and then. Free tickets to the beer festival. Yeah. Kind of derailed that plan. And so I will say, too, if we're both a little slow this morning, that's the reason. <laughs> well, and then things got even slower because we recuperated from the beer festival by then going for a more beer with uh, John, another listener. Uh, so I think you've seen all the beer that St. Ives has to offer. <laughs> uh, very little else in terms of tourism, but, you know. No, it's can. been great. I'll say thanks to all those people that you just mentioned that I met. It was great to meet y'all. I've had a really good time here. And we're wrapping up the trip with uh, with a with a podcast, so we are ticking all the boxes off. All is good, and I think you're going to start us off with well, the listener's favourite. I'm not going to do the sound effects because you know <laughs> we've got into that in the last episode. But uh, Flash Ebola. Yeah, we have uh, you know a bit of an Ebola update. Not much has changed on the ground. The situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the current outbreak, 
that's happening there. We talked about it last episode. They're dealing with um, security issues that are hampering the efforts to contain Ebola in the sort of uh, one of the provinces in, in Congo there. Um, but the WHO did convene an emergency committee, um, a panel to to make the decision as to whether they need to declare this a uh, public health, international public health emergency, or I don't know the exact title, but basically are they going to stamp that label on it of saying, you know, the WHO says this is something that the rest of the world needs to be concerned about and we uh, should act uh, or act more quickly. Is more... It, are there like defined criteria points that... Yeah, I believe we've got this many cases in this short, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, apparently. So it's like they they convene the panel of experts, you know, the, uh, you know, the judge panel, like, uh, like the <laughs> voice sort of award, or <laughs> some sort of award ceremony. Yeah, Simon yeah. Cowell sat there. yeah exactly. Um, and they take a bunch of factors into into account. Uh, just to get it out of the way, they did not declare it an emergency. Um, so they're still they obviously concerned. There's no cases in the surrounding countries yet, which is good. Um, but one of the one of the things that they were in the articles I was reading that is of concern, which was um, taking into account when they made the decision, was that they can't find the, the new cases that are coming up. They can't find a discernible link as to where these people got it. So uh, nor, like okay. Ebola is all about contact tracing, right? So when somebody gets it, you go to all of the people they've been in contact with and you test them and you try and trace down, you know, who might, where it might be spreading just by, you know, boots on the ground more or less, going to people's houses and testing them and monitoring them and all that kind of thing. But there's some new cases that came up and they can't find the link as to where these people might have got it. That's partially due to the security situation on the ground. They can't get in and do this contact tracing. So that's a sort of an issue that they're quite concerned about. Uh, because they can't, that's, you know, this contact tracing is such a, a huge, you know, you can have all the drugs, you can have all the vaccines and stuff, but without this knowledge of knowing where it's moving, who's passing it to who, you don't know who to vaccinate, who, to, you know, prioritize that kind of thing. So there's some breakdowns there. Um, but they did mention some positive, um, some positive things to come out of it. Um, the committee commended the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo, WHO, and all response partners for the progress made under such difficult circumstances. Uh, a lot of the pillars of the response, they say, are working to scale and are being adjusted in real time. So the response is actually quite good, right. uh, is what they're saying. So surveillance is good, but needs to be intensified. They're using the ring vaccination efforts. So okay, so trying to yeah. prevent the spread outside of yeah, it back yeah, and while you contain. vaccinate, contain it by vaccinating the people who are going to be around the people who already have it. So healthcare workers, this kind of thing. Um, they said they were looking at um, vaccinating everybody, but they don't have the supply of the vaccine, so. Um, but there was something that they were considering. They're like, this ring vaccine thing seems to be working, seems to be doing good. Um, but why don't we, why don't we just get everybody we can? Yeah. Um, but again, the security situation is still, uh, that's, that's the real sticking point at the moment. So yeah, that's all we have for the Ebola update. They did not declare it an international emergency, but the concern for spread to, other regions, so other countries, is was high, and now it's very high. 
Okay. So, but they got people at the borders and they said that's all working relatively well. But yeah, if they don't kind of tip the scale soon, it could get, it could go out of control. Okay, full scale. Okay, yeah. well, I think something we can obviously keep an eye on for the uh, the listeners who we know it's a, a keen one. Keep them updated on is uh, news breaks. Probably we won't keep you updated for the rest of the show if news breaks because <laughs> uh, we're sort of not actively following the news feeds, but uh, no. maybe uh, next time around. Um, I've got no segue into my next one, so I'm <laughs> I'm just going to jump straight in with uh, finger length. And what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to I? So well, I've been told that I have long fingers. Well, <clears throat> that could explain a, a lot, Flash. So uh, the University of Essex in the UK have recently conducted a study um, looking at the length of your left index finger compared to your ring finger. Um, and what they've discovered in women is that if uh, the left index finger and the ring finger are a different length, then you're more likely uh, to be homosexual. Um, so mm. the way they did the studies, they took uh, 18 pairs of identical twins. Yeah. And they actually did two groups, males and females. Well, I'll come to the males in a minute. So for the females, they took 18 pairs of identical female twins where one of the twins was straight and one of the twins were gay. Uh, and then basically measured the distance of their left index finger and right finger. What they thought was, on average, lesbians had a different length uh, between those two fingers, um, which traditionally is typically a male trait anyway to have those different length fingers. So I can hmm. see you looking at a hand. I'm checking my hands right yeah. now, yeah. Um, it's only the left hand. Uh, it doesn't seem to hold any water with the right hand. Um, and the reason, obviously, they used used twins was because it removes the genetic variation. Well, yeah, some of it. Yeah. Um, so they found this uh, trait was only true in females. It didn't hold up for males, where they did a similar study with male twins as well. Um, and what they believe they had tendencies to is, is based on the amount of testosterone uh, babies were exposed to while in the womb. Hmm. Uh, so if you're exposed to an increased level of testosterone, um, then you're more likely to be homosexual. And now what they're trying to figure out is... For women. For women. There's no um, data for men. I've not seen the data for men, actually. I would need to go and dig to see that. Hmm. Um, but what they're saying is obviously, you know, potentially in the womb, they're both being exposed. The same amount of testosterone is in that the mother's body. Mm -hmm. So why is one absorbing more testosterone than the other? So that's the other part of this research that's starting to happen. Is, right as what's the exposure to that. Uh, so, yeah, if you, you know, next time you're in the pub and you, you know, look across, you see an attractive lady, maybe just check out the uh, size of her fingers. Yeah, you see. look for a ring first. Yeah, we we'll look for a ring first, <laughs> yeah, and then look at the size of the fingers and, you know, maybe you could tell whether you're, you know, in with at least a shot or not. Yeah. I went, look, sounds fishy to me. Sounds like you're, like... Fishy the, fingers. Well, oh God, <laughs> it sounds like this is like bordering on like eugenics, you know, like head, we've measured head sizes and found that, you know, it's, it's got an air of that to it. I mean, I've, University of Essex, I'm assuming is a credible organization and the people doing this study are assuming, we're assuming are credible. I'm, gl I'm glad you said that for the lawyers because uh, <laughs> I don't think our third party insurance is up to date enough yeah. to be sued right now. Yeah, for, for slander. But you know what I mean? Like it just, when you're using the twins, you only have so many twins that fit this criteria. So yes, it's going to be a small sample size, but it's a small sample size. We're talking about 18 pairs. Yeah. You know, and 
what is the degree of variate like how different sizes of the fingers you know like is it i'm assuming there's a spectrum of it's five centimeters or three centimeters what it just seems like it's kind of like a odd like okay you found this one quirky thing piece of data that says that shows that you know it's a correlation is right. to cut to it is what i'm getting at and it just doesn't seem like that you know, you, you do mention the link of, well, they think it could be testosterone. So, But surely there's a better way to just measure the testosterone that a child is getting in the womb than looking at their fingers afterwards and then trying to concoct this story. Well, I, 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 th- I think to use the phrase concocted story, <laughs> that's just a little bit harsh. Um, you know, these same scientific processes have been used here. But yeah, I think and that's... That's where we, no doubt, you know, from what I read, that there, there is other research going on in parallel to this, and I've obviously only taken a segment of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I imagine there is a way to measure the testosterone. And you're just giving us the clickbaity headline. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I am <laughs> teasing the listenership um, with my fingers, uh, or somebody else's fingers, in fact, which now sounds really bad, and I've gone down a rabbit hole. I didn't really want to go down. Um, but, yeah, I'm, you know... I'm sure there's other research going on that will co- cooperate or uh, not cooperate. You know, yeah. this work that's been done. But. It just—it seems like there's got to be a more like a more precise thing you could do. And like, I, I, obviously, yeah, we don't know. We haven't talked to the researchers why they decided to look at finger. Like, something must have tipped them off in their other research to yeah. be like, look, look at we we think this might be a hypothesis worth testing. So, you do. Uh, I think the interesting thing about it, though. Um, the, the actual finger size study aside um, is understanding what what drives human sexuality like where does that come from because you know there's obviously social political debates about this for ages religious debates about this for ages are you born this way well you know like obviously you are born that way we're not we're not saying that but it there there must be some reasoning as to why some people prefer same-sex partnerships and others don't like there's there should be a reason for that um and then looking at it from this angle of well it could be hormones it could be you know something in the womb something developmental i think that's interesting i know that some people might look at that as controversial not politically correct you shouldn't you know but it's science and it's it's you know there's probably a mix of genetics and you know, hormonal uh, upbringing, you know, like what could yeah. it be? We don't really know. And that's, that to me is an interesting question. Now, I still, I've maintained my finger, pointing the finger at the finger size thing as being slightly dubious, but, you know, I <laughs> See guess. what you've done there? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm working here. The brain's working overtime uh, to string these sentences together. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's my take on it. It's all right. Okay, well, thanks for trashing my story. That's uh, that's kind of. So, uh, if ever if ever you've seen a bonfire peed on from a large height, that's effectively what you just done to me there. So, uh, brilliant. Well, why don't you why don't you give a story, and I'm going to sharpen my pencil to uh, stick in it at various points. Well, okay, and there's, I don't know what the segue is because I'm too tired to 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 think of that. The beer fest really did me in yesterday. But uh, this story is related because um, it's also finding a biomarker, we'll say. So it's a, it's a story where they're 
trying to develop or see if there's a way that you can have a blood test that predicts autism. Um, so this is the blood test for the parents or for the children for the children yeah so basically what they and it you know in a similar kind of thing is what we were just talking about they were kind of tipped off that there might be um there's prior evidence that dysregulation of branched chain amino acids may contribute to autism spectrum disorder so amino acids are molecules in the body that make up proteins and proteins that make up everything else in your body so that's the sort of biological link so they're looking at the specific class of amino acids that get put into these chains that then form proteins or they do functions in the body right um, and so there's an, some evidence that if you you know have some kind of dysregulation of this so these certain amino acids um, that is correlated with autism spectrum disorder. So they're looking at this angle as, can, is it predictive enough, basically? Is it more than just a correlation? And so they've done, um, you know, basically just screening. Uh, they call it like metabolic signatures. So you're looking for the levels of these different amino acids in kids with autism, kids without, um, and trying to see if, if it's, it's a, a predictive test and they found that they could only detect about 17% of children with autism spectrum disorder which is not enough to make a good a good test i think the current what does it say current guidelines in order to be considered like a, a good test that will get approval to be used in a medical um uh scenario is that you would have to identify at least 70 to 80% of the children screened so they're really not there right um but this is they talk about this as being a first step in being able to ident like tease out more like the original piece of evidence was say um you know we see that there's this dysregulation so let's look at it more and try and you know categorize it even more stratify this data set even more so that you can become more precise with it is it all amino acids is it this specific one like what is it um and they found that the test has a positive predictive value of 93.5%. Mm -hmm. So what that means, I think, I'm no statistician, and I don't think you are. Uh, it's not a word I usually use to describe myself. <laughs> Many other words, but not that one. But basically what I think this is, is like, so they can't really um, detect your know, autism in a, in a large sample, like I said, they can only get 17%, but I think it's like of those 17% or when you do, um, get a positive of this test, it's confirmed with other things. Like it's, it can't pick the needles out of the, out of the large population. But when you have, when you've identified the kid already with this test, it's very likely that it's going to be correct. I think is what it is because basically they're saying that you could use it as a um, confirming a diagnosis so you just add it to the repertoire of because autism is kind of a slippery uh, okay. thing to that diagnose makes a bit more sense. yeah so, yeah maybe it's not going to be at the moment it's not a definitive test it's more of a confirmatory yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. all the you know all the evidence is pointing towards this and here's yeah. another and it's and it's again it's it's a it's an actual biological indicator you know it's like whereas I think autism is probably diagnosed through a series of, of tests, but it's got to be like subjective behavioral tests or cognitive tests or these kind of things. It's like, do you fit like, di like diagnosing any sort of mental disorder or mental illness? It's 
there's like a checklist that a, a professional will put you through yeah. a battery of tests and see how you, and then they kind of make this diagnosis. So this just adds a physiological one to that, which is good. And again, like the last story we were just talking about, it really Oh, the starts, one that you just peed all over? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one. Uh, it starts to, you know, let's try and find a cause, like a causal mechanism for what autism might be. And I think it's interesting in, in this little article I was reading is that there is evidence that like in, in mouse models and stuff, high protein diets can alleviate the symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. Okay, now that was a question that I was going to ask. So for this amino acid they're looking at in the test, the next question that came to my mind was obviously we're using this for diagnostics, but is then there also a way to use this for treatment? For treatment. Yeah, and so like they're really just scratching the surface as like, well, it looks like autism in some part might be due to this um, amino acid amino acid deficiency or dysregulation or whatever you know whatever it is. Um, and then one, one of the ways you get amino acids in through dietary, you know, is through protein, you know, you consume protein, whether it's animal protein or whatever, and you, you, it's a source of these amino acids for your diet. So maybe it's a, it's a dietary thing in young children. And if you act quickly or supplement the diet or change the diet of people at risk or in a situation that's going to put them at risk, um, you could maybe prevent or alleviate the symptoms that's the idea Um, but again don't really know Um, so I did a bit of digging around just to be because I've heard some other things about autism where they're linking microbiome to autism okay you know and this kind of falls in the same way the microbiome the gut microbiome basically all the creepy qualities that live in your in your technical term there yeah yeah that live in your in your gut um, and I think it was like 2013, there was this study that basically showed if you look at uh, fecal samples from kids with autism, kids without, you know, in a matched sort of scientific way, uh, there was a difference in the types of bacteria that they had in their gut. Right. And is, so then based on what we've now discussed with the amino acid, is there thought that maybe you have read this or not, but we can speculate is then the impact that the the gut flora are having an impact on the digestion of that amino acid or not having or yeah I don't know um, because like I said I just what do you know Flash because you know I've I'm told... asking good questions here and you're not giving me answers <laughs> I'm you know, I, I don't want to pee on your story like you peed on mine but you know it's looking as if you know look man my bladder is getting full and I need to relieve pressure <laughs> I'm speculating the hell out of this I'm doing the best I can to speculate as hard as I can about this okay we'll speculate with confidence yeah that's right yeah that's what this show is all about it is yeah <laughs> almost overconfident in some ways <laughs> well no so like yeah i don't know specifically and i don't think anyone knows specifically like anything with microbiome it seems at this point it's correlation and then you try and find you know we've noticed this odd correlation what might the mechanism be same thing with the amino acids they've seen this correlation what might that mean for you know the development of autism nobody really knows but it's interesting um and i brought up the microbiome thing i jumped to that when i read the this first study again to try and see these links to try and see what the link is but the two the main link that you have in common with these things is that it would be nutritional right or that it's potentially 
treatable or manageable with nutrition. Because if I have a microbiome dysregulation, like too many of certain bacteria, we know that you can you can influence that or you can correct that with diet or, you know, fecal well, transplants yeah, or I, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I guess you know? there can also be, you know, there are some genetic conditions whereby, you know, certain amino acids are not regulated well in the body because of that gene deficiency or that gene, right, yeah. gene fault. So again, you know, is there a genetic component to autism? That yeah. Then, you know, the causal factor is this amino acid. Yeah, or in groups of amino acids yeah. or whatever. You know, the, the story is like to, likely to be quite com complex um, if it is, if the amino acid thing is a, um, you know, the, the right path. It's likely to be pretty complex. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting that even if it was a genetic thing, if it was just a matter of, well, at certain key points, time, you know, time after birth, certain key developmental points, you just need to supplement with, these proteins, amino acids or something, like, wouldn't that be, I don't know, pretty amazing? Yeah. That, like, I don't know, do you think autism is a very scary condition for a lot of people? And it, you know, we could go into the whole ethics, too, of, like, do, are, should you even cure? Is it necessarily a disease or they're just different, you know? I mean, I tend to look at it as that would be very difficult to live with a family member who has autism, you know? For both of them, for that, for the person with it and the people without it, you know, so I would tend to lean to if there was a way to prevent it or cure in air quotes yeah. here, I would I would go that way. But if it was right under our nose the whole time that it was, you know, it's oh yeah, you just you just got to have an extra scoop of, you know, meat gruel. At you know, <laughs> you know I, what I, I wouldn't mean? ever go into marketing flash because that is not how you're gonna sell it. Oh, meat gruel! Oh, I love my meat gruel. You need your you know soylent protein nice goo. Yeah, protein soup. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and then you know then you reduce the risk of autism or something like that. I don't know. Those are the fascinating. That when I first heard that microbiome might be related in autism, it's one of those things that you're like, oh, sure it is. Everybody's just pointing to microbiome for everything, but it's like, well, no, there might actually be something there, and um, I think it's really fascinating that the bacteria in your gut, or you know, these molecules that you're just not getting enough in your diet, could could be could the key. Could be the key. Yeah, that's fascinating to me, um, and much more conclusive than what your finger size tells you about anything about you. I knew there was a little dig <laughs> but and like yeah obviously diets have have changed a lot you know mm -hmm. over over the years so yeah you may just have heard Tabby Bruce make an entrance uh, there he there. goes um yeah and obviously there's you know a, a, there's a lot of conditions now where you know like celiac disease and things like that, you know it's mm -hmm. become more and more common is that because more of the processed diet we're eating so it's interesting you know yeah in the in the veterinary world there's a big move um, rightly or wrongly, depending on which side of the fence you are, for the raw food movement. So feeding pets raw. actually on raw food rather than tinned or dried food. Right. Um, because of, in air quotes, the health benefits of that, because that's what dogs or cats evolved you know, would do. But the yeah. trouble is, most dogs and cats that we have now are domesticated. You know, mm -hmm. they've they've evolved a degree, and as have we to a point. Obviously, we still eat a lot of raw food in terms mm -hmm. of veg and meat, but yeah. Well, obviously, we, and we talked about it, was it in the last show or the show before, about the long-term effects of space travel and, yeah, you know, that was directly, effectively having an impact on your 
gut health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The microbiome. So well, the more that we're the more that we're seeing about this gut microbiome or the microbiome in general is that there is a lot of. I think it's like I said, there's a lot of stuff out there that's still really just correlation, and you can find correlations anywhere, whether it means anything or not. But there's, I think, pretty credible theories as to why gut bacteria might affect or could affect your immune system, your nervous system, you know, like all of these things that you wouldn't necessarily think are directly related. So we wait and see, but uh, I guess for the time being, let's just uh, hard speculate and say, don't let your baby be vegan, otherwise it's going to get <laughs> autism. <laughs> Well, this this uh, this show is not sponsored by the Vegan Society, as we'll uh, yeah, find out. Yeah, and none of our advice is, is, uh, should be taken, ever. No, uh, exactly, so. yeah, let's put a pig caveat on that. <laughs> yeah, we, we in no way will be held responsible uh, for your health following listening to yeah, this. Yeah, or your, baby, your vegan baby's health. Okay, so I do have a segue from... Uh, so, speaking of putting things in you, um, <laughs> self-lubricating condoms. Self? Self-lubricating condoms condoms uh, well i have so many questions but i'll give you a minute to maybe okay. answer a few of them well or maybe not so um boston university have um just developed it's been published this week uh developed self-lubricating condoms so they're latex based um that has become slippery on contact effectively um, they have a durable coating, uh, and the idea is so this this is actually backed by the Gates Foundation. Um, right. The aim was to make condoms more appealing, um, and then by making them more appealing, they'll be used more. And then the idea is they'll prevent more sexually transmitted diseases, right, yeah. uh, prevent unwanted pregnancies, because um, at the moment a lot of people out there, oh, we refuse to condom, you know, it doesn't feel yeah. right or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, what they've said is that uh, if you don't use lube, then using a condom can be painful. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> uh, they can slip or split open. Well, this just in from the eggheads at the lab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, who probably have never used a condom or had sex in their life. Yeah. Um, so uh, condoms are lubed already, but what they've uh, been relying on the fact is actually there's not enough lube there already. Um, so what they've discovered is uh, with... Uh, the testing they've done, uh, a condom will lost, last around about a thousand thrusts. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're quantifying it in thrusts, right? In thrusts. That's, Everybody's, the unit, that's the unit of measure for intercourse. How, do you, how do you standardize the thrust measurement? Everybody thrusts differently, right? Well, you know, and is it the size of the nail or the weight of the hammer behind it? But <laughs> all these questions and more won't be answered by me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they, they've, they've said around about a thousand thrusts is the, the lifespan of a condom usually intercourse is around half of this though mm, mm. um again i'm not gonna put um, any, yeah i'm not gonna put any personal numbers around this um <laughs> so what they did is they uh, compared um normal condoms to these self-lubricating ones to their normal condoms with additional lubricant um quick question when they're saying the life of a condom is a thousand thrust is that like before it breaks or before it becomes so unlubricated that it's painful uh, that's a good question but we don't you don't know okay i do, yeah i yeah i don't okay know. yeah sidebar but yeah, i'll put my hands up but yeah um 
so what they discovered was with the extra lubricant, with the water-based lubricants that you put into a normal condom, actually, to start with, that is more slippery. Um, than this new Fandango device. New, yeah. um, but as you um, increase the thrusts, mm -hmm. uh, this actually decreases, and this is then where the self-lubing condom comes into its own more. Uh, um, so again, it's a small number in this in the in the rating study they did. So they uh, had thirty three men and women. The fact, it's an odd number makes me a little bit nervous. There, somebody dropped out. Well, uh, but somebody they, got a little camera shy. Yeah. <laughs> they used a um, slip and slide rating. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what the scale was, but uh, that was headline. <laughs> we'll have to download the actual paper to get the, the uh, details. Yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, what they discovered is um, people preferred these self-lubricating condoms. So hmm. um, the technology itself in in these condoms is quite new because of the material that it's in. Well, this is where most of my questions are stemming. But okay, continue. Um, so where this technology is currently being used in different materials, but potentially could roll out, is actually in medical devices like urinary tract catheters and things like that. Things that need to be inserted and removed. Yeah. Yeah. So they have uh, a hydrophilic coating that makes them you know, naturally more slippery. Um, but this is the first time it's been used in latex. Uh, okay. So it's effectively it's some kind of coating that is, as you said, hydrophilic, which would mean that it attracts water yeah. or moisture or whatever. Yeah. Because so yeah. whether, whether you need to keep hydrated, you know, I would always suggest you keep hydrated, but you know, you know, whether mm. it's drawing water out of the... The thing that you're putting it into. Uh, well, yeah, that's like, so this is what I'm want, like, because I could, making it more slippery, like just like a smoother sort of, like we put this coating on it, it makes it super smooth. You know, I get that. But when you say self-lubricating, that makes me think that it's somehow producing, generating. yeah, some yeah. kind of a liquid or, you know, well, a lube. Um, this is such a great conversation to be having <laughs> in my living room. Just some of the hand gestures that you and I are both making as we gesticulate while talking about this. I just like, yeah, I never thought I'd be so seriously talking about... Lube with me. Lube, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know. But I, yeah, I'm, I wonder what it, like, it's it's not that. So it's not generating some kind of ooze. Um, no, it's not, it's not generating <laughs> ooze. Um, and actually is uh, just at the end of the article I was reading... Uh, and we'll we'll put all the details up on the site so you can um, go in deep dive into this as much mm -hmm. as you like. You know, I would suggest you lube up before you do that there, guys. Um, <laughs> it's actually there's some researchers in Australia that are looking at a um, um, a hydro, a tougher hydrogel rather than latex. Um, mm. They will, again, be self-lubricating, but give more of a natural feel. Right, so like totally changing the condom game. Yeah. Flipping it around yeah. 180. Crikey. Not literally flipping 180 because then that, you know, depending yeah. on your finger length may or may not work for you. The physics of that, yeah. Okay, well, so basically we've just got extra slippery condoms. Yeah. So I see self-lubricating then is kind of a mis, you know, misleading name, don't you think? Uh, I, I can see where you can come from that. I, I, again... You've highlighted that I need to have maybe done some more research for this story uh, to see whether it is generating, as you put it, ooze, <laughs> which I don't think it is, um, or whether it's just you know attracting moisture from around it. Because then you could see problems too of like if it's pulling moisture away from the body parts of the people involved in the act. 
yeah that could cause some issue but i guess if it's drawing the moisture away but it's still it's keeping it in that same location yeah i don't know huh condom science yeah who would have thought it well it's not something they tell you in high school that you could major in that's for sure well no that's true yeah and, you know but, but you know the gates foundation are behind it well i know i've i've, I've known that the gates foundation is They've I th- we've probably talked about it before in this show that they're really big into condom research because you know they are trying to obviously help eliminate some diseases, um, spread of diseases and un- unwanted pregnancies and things like this. You know, so yeah, it's kind of funny that you would. So the the quote from uh, the researcher Professor Mark Grinstaff from Boston University. Um, it feels a bit slimy when you handle it dry, but in the presence of water or natural fluid, it becomes really slick, and you only need a little bit of fluid to activate it. To activate? So again, it sounds like it's there's some kind of, you know? Yeah. Or it's just, it's really good at dispersing that, the, the water, or as you put it, natural fluid, uh, across the whole surface. Yeah, I was just looking. There was a uh, there was a bit at the end of the story which I didn't see, which is the common condom mistakes. Oh, okay. Well, um, do, do yeah. Well, that? now that we're here, okay. Well, you know, we've, <laughs> we've come this far. Yeah, we're turning into an advice show. We, well, don't let your babies be vegan. But and... we, we already has put a caveat that you shouldn't listen to our advice. Yeah, but, don't. Um, don't. Um, oil-based products, including some hand creams, can damage latex condoms, so it's important to avoid them. Use silicone or water-based lubricants instead. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one on one. Well, you say that. Uh, the next piece of advice is never reuse a condom. Oh. <laughs> um, you know what? Though? Let's let's take a moment to think about this. The the person that would reuse a condom, I, yeah, disgusting. Obviously, right? That's your first. That's your first thing. Is this person is just disgusting. But oh, I knew there was a but, not literally a but. Let's think. The guy, the, we'll say a man. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Just wants to be safe, but doesn't have another condom. Well, you know, he could choose to just not use, not read. You know. So I think we actually got to give them props for it. No. I, you know no. what I'm saying? I I I hear what you're saying. <laughs> it's like they're actually like between my two options of unprotected sex, which could be dangerous. Uh, or reusing this. this well, you, no, you've got a third option. Just not do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay, you filthy animals, don't do that. Yeah. Um, be careful how you store condoms uh, because they can get easily damaged, especially if they've been kept in a wallet, pocket, or bag. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I know that, that condom I had in my wallet from the age of like 16 to 30 something uh, <laughs> is still there, actually. Um, check the expiry date. Yeah. Uh, and when you put a condom on, it's always important to squeeze the tip. What it doesn't say here is of the condom. You know, <laughs> I think that's an important thing that they do miss out, uh, which they should add, because otherwise that could be yeah. uh, painful. Uh, yeah, so those were the uh, top five common mistakes. Wow. And I mean, it's funny because, yeah, like we said, going back to the Gates Foundation, serious foundation for serious research is big in the condom game. And who would have thought that condom game is uh, condom research is such a big issue? Well, and they're probably targeting those mistakes too. It's like how can we how can we make a reusable one, or how can we you know like? Well, years ago there were reusable ones, weren't there? 
Oh, I love that place. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Like you just wash it out and yeah, go again. Wow, but that probably didn't feel good. I I would guess not. Yeah. Wow. Man, we've learned a lot. We have. It's it's been an educational <laughs> session. Well, it's always educational, but you know, maybe maybe more educational. Maybe the listeners will will disagree or agree with that one way or another and there's some practical learning happening here not literally practical let me make that very very clear uh, not not that i find you you know unattractive in that way flash it's just that i've checked the length of my fingers mm-hmm. uh, and they're just not the right length if you pardon the expression i hear you i hear you i thought you were gonna say i feel you yeah it's like, well that would have set up nicely into that uh do you want to take you on a little jaunt of where we've been today yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a quick episode, but, you know, um, let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, so, what we have learned is the brads can be led, led astray very easily, especially if there's free beer mm. on offer. Mm. Uh, I look across at you drinking your beer in hand uh, right now. <laughs> i got to catch a flight, so, you know. Well, uh, the man's an animal, listeners. <laughs> he started breakfast yesterday with Bailey's in his coffee before moving on to the, the beer festival. Um you know, for those of you tuning in, Little Rip Brad had a great story, second on the agenda, uh, Flash, uh, peed all over it. I think it's just because he's wearing the headphones today in this relationship that he thinks he's superior to me. Uh, you know, that's my feeling. Uh, confidence is key. That's yeah, what we've learned about always. a lot of things. Uh, listen to our advice, but don't always follow it. I think that's a... Listen to it and never follow it. Okay. It's, prob- it's probably the best. It's probably a safer, safer yeah. option. Um and yeah always follow the five important safety tips of uh, condom usage i think is uh, yeah the other thing we've learned today and don't squeeze the tip too hard <laughs> squeeze the tip but not the wrong tip right if that has you know cleared it up for you at all yeah yeah <laughs> um as always flash it's been a pleasure uh listeners obviously we've met some of you the rest of you if you want to get in uh Contact. I did see we had some positive feedback uh, from Coleman online. We got the one hundred percent. We did. Coleman guarantee. Honest Coleman guarantee. Yeah, which so. is not easily obtained, from my understanding. No, so. no, he's a curmudgeon. He's hard to please. Yeah. So, so thank you for that, Coleman. Uh, if you want to get in touch with uh, the show, uh, Twitter is probably the best way. That's at Two Brad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also on the uh, social media game of uh, Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of pictures, uh, new pictures, or there's at least one, but there'll probably be a couple more pictures yeah. from, from this trip up there. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, Britt Brad, then it's at Bradley W. Hayes uh, on the old Twitter, Twitter sphere. Uh, Flash, if we want to hit you up, so to speak. Yeah, at B Van Paradon on all the, all the socials. All the socials. That's what the kids say, right? Well, the kids say a lot of things, but you know. <laughs> all the socials. I'll take this moment too to shout out uh, to another podcast that I've um, been a part of that has now been released. Uh, uh, the Tragically Hip yeah. Tribute Podcast. I'm sure if you're a listener of this show, you've heard me talk about the Tragically Hip, uh, beloved Canadian band whose frontman, lead singer, Gord Downey, passed away one year ago this month um which was a big loss to canada so anyway me and some of the old where's my glasses crew uh along with another friend have created a album by album deep dive into our love of the band the music the lyrics we 
get crazy with what it could all mean and probably attribute more meaning to it than it could be. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But it's a ton of fun to do. If you're a fan of the band, I think you'll like it. It's called The Cast of the Unplucked Gems, which is a reference to one of their song titles. If you've not heard the band, I think you can still get something out of it. I think it would be a good way to see what all the fuss is about. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. When I've, I've not listened to it yet. I've downloaded it, and that, that's what I'm looking forward to. Because I've listened to a couple of tracks in the past. Yeah. But I'm looking looking forward to hearing the meaning, you know, and what it means to... Yeah, you know, guys like yourselves. Yeah, big fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's available iTunes, Stitcher. Um, if you find your way to the Two Brad for You pages, you'll find your way there. Um, I think the Twitter feed is at Cast Gems, but I'm not sure. I'll update that. Uh, but yeah, the Cast of the Unplugged Gems. Check it out. Uh, and I think the other thing to point out is obviously, uh, I think the first of your one-on-one interviews that you've posted under Two Brad for You is up. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a couple more. Uh, in the in the pipeline, which yeah, uh, based yeah, on yeah. what we've discussed while we've been together this week, sound really interesting. So I'm looking forward to yeah to diving into those as well, and hopefully the listeners will as well. Yeah, the two Brad for you in conversation series, I guess is what I we're calling it. That's a nice name. It almost makes it sound professional. Yeah, kind of. It's it'll have a bit more of a uh, uh, I wouldn't say serious tone, but no, they're really good. They're really fun. I've gotten some good feedback on them already. So yeah, we'll be doing some more of those too. So okay, well. Just remains to say, Flash, great to see you, as always. Thank you for having me. Uh, anytime, anytime. <laughs> uh, and listeners, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, we'll do it again. Cheers. Until next time, cheers. from the garden out there oh, I don't see him he's underneath the chair Does he, know, he obviously knows how to get in and out of that door but he spent a good deal of time just pawing oh, at the door he, he's slightly retarded <laughs> well that was like pains me to say because I love him dearly but he is slightly retarded <laughs> yeah it looked like you couldn't figure and so I was like push. I was opening the door for him the little cat door for him oh like, he made you his bitch well I opened it just to make sure that it worked right because I was like is it stuck or something and I opened it, and then he just looked at it, and I was like, "All right." And I closed it. It's like you're on your own, bud. I think it's something to do with the angle of it. I, th- I think it might catch. Somehow. Mm. I need to go outside and try it. But yeah, the last couple of days. But yeah, effectively, he's made you his bitch, and you just open doors for him now. But that's fine. Well, I open doors and look at him, look at the door, and then I shut it in his face and be like, "You can figure it out, bud," because <laughs> you're not coming in when I open it. So anyway. Okay, back to the original question. Yeah. Uh, You can start.